All right, so journals, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Today is our last sermon in 1 Thessalonians. 22 sermons. I think we started in June. So this is it. We're closing out this letter, and you can be praying for Tyler Jordan and I as we move into the next season as to what it is. There'll be a few Christmas messages, and then in January we'll start somewhere new. Maybe 2 Thessalonians. We might spend a couple weeks there since you already have it um, in your journals, and then we're praying about what God would have for us next. So I'll be praying for us for that. We've been in 1 Thessalonians now, so we all know what the theme of this book is about. It is about living for Jesus while waiting for Jesus. Jesus is going to return, and his word tells us how to live with him and for him as we wait for him to come back. And so this morning, Jonah's going to come. Jonah's going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 25 and tw- through 28. So the last, uh, just four verses. So Jonah, you coming? Come on, dude. Come and read to us. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Everybody there? All right, we're going to read, start reading in verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, now Jonah is going to read it again. Because I've read it to myself a million times this week, and you just heard it once. So let's do it one more time. But you can say this is the word of the Lord again, because it's still the word of the Lord, and we'll say, yes, it is. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Thank you. Perfect. Well done. Woo. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Healthy, happy, fruitful relationships are hard to have. Do I get an amen? They're just hard. Relationships can just be flat out hard. And when you think about how many different relationships you have in the course of a month, it's no wonder they're hard. I mean, you got family relationships, right? Father, mother, son, daughter, grandparent, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, cousins. Then you've got coworkers and bosses, coaches, teachers, students, peers, right? Your classmates. You got your barista, if you have your own personal barista. Some of us, some guys do, I know. <laughs> you go to the same place all the time, right? Uh, your auto mechanic, your doctor, maybe your counselor. I mean, we got a lot of relationships. A lot. You start thinking about all of them. And, and if you're like me, some of those relationships bring life. I hang out with certain people or interact with certain people, and I leave just encouraged. And other people, for different reasons, just suck me dry. Maybe you're like that. You're done a conversation with certain individual or just at a certain time with someone. Maybe it's your own doing, but you walk away just exhausted, tired. And so there's a battle. There's a challenge that we have as we interact with so many people over so many weeks of time in any given month. And then there's the dynamics of all those relationships. I mean, we all have different likes and dislikes, right? Values and priorities. I've been told you put two people in a room, you'll get three opinions, right? We have different expectations, different desires, personalities, convictions. I mean, it's a wonder we ever get along at all when you consider all of these dynamics. So 
really since our first, sorry, should I do anything? All right. I'm asking you. I don't know. Am I good? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to keep doing it, so. try not to move so much. If you guys remember, some of you have been around since day one of our church plant, I've said many times that relationships are just messy. They're hard. And seldom does a relationship really come, any relationship really come smooth and easy, right? No matter who that is that God has put in our lives. And so here, as Paul closes out this little letter to a brand new church, a brand new believer, some of who are meeting each other for the first time, he really ends by talking about their brother-sister relationships. Did you guys see that in the verses um, that we read? The word brothers is actually the better, should be brothers and sisters, because it's not just talking about guys. So it's brothers and sisters, and in, three ver- in four verses, he uses brothers and sisters three times. So I think this passage, really, as he closes out, is he wants to make sure that their relationships with one another are intact, that they're getting along with one another. Um, and so here, he's going to do that using, I'm going to use four words that come right from the text. Here are four ways to promote, four things that we do to promote healthy, grace-filled relationships. They are praying, Kissing, reading, and grace. Praying, kissing, we'll get to that one, (laughs) reading, and grace. So I want to look at those. And I think that the theme of this morning would be this, or the theme of this closing is, how do we live? It's living with your brothers and sisters while waiting for Jesus. It's like your little sermon title. How do we live with our brothers and sisters, our friends in the church primarily, as we wait for Jesus' return, or if you want to use our language from our mission statement, how do we live in community with each other in a way that's healthy and joyful and fruitful as we wait for Jesus to come back? So when he finds us when he comes back, we're not grumbling and complaining. We're not arguing and fighting, but he finds us in healthy, joyful, fruitful relationships. So let's go. I got four of them. Number one is just to pray. It is prayer. He begins verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. He's asking for prayer for him and Sylvanus and Timothy because he knows firsthand that he needs the power of God in his life in all things, including relationships. I need the power of God in my life for all of my relationships. And he knows that. And so this is sort of an invitation, I think. Pray for us, knowing that he wants them to receive this as an invitation to pray for one another, to pray for each other, to pray for the brothers and the sisters. I don't know if any of you have ever done this, like, Spent time, I knew you guys spent time praying, but praying specifically for our church, for individual people in our church. And if you're like me as you do that, which I do that for you, sometimes I wonder, like, what to pray. Like, some of you, I know what you're going through at different times, so I can pray specifically. But then I wonder, like, what is it that God would want me to pray for, for his church? And so I love it that in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to do a tiny bit of a recap here, there's two times where Paul prays, he does his prayer, and I think that's an opportunity for us to learn about how to pray, how to pray for each other. So I'm going to kind of highlight these really quick. Go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2 is his first little prayer that Paul prays. So you want to start praying for people, your brothers and sisters. Maybe you don't know what to pray. You're like, I don't know what to pray for everybody. I don't know everybody that well. You can still pray for them by name and pray this. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. So there's a starting point. You can, you can go around the room in your mind and by name, thank God for different people. He says, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith 
and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So it seems to be a place for you to stop throughout your week and think of different people that God has brought into our church family, brothers and sisters, and to pray for them. Thank God for them. Thank God for their faith. Thank God for their love. And thank God for their hope. Whether you've experienced it firsthand or not, to still thank God for that. And turn over, go to chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God, he's praying again, constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So, so what can you pray for? You're praying for people. You don't know them that well. The body of Christ, your brothers and sisters. You can pray that as they spend time in the word of God, that they'll be impacted by it. Do you ever pray that way? Just pray for people in the church as they read your Bible this week. May they receive it as your word. May it impact them. May, they, may it be at work in them. May it work deeply in their hearts. Now, I find this so helpful because I don't always know what to pray. I don't. And so I, you can go to God's word. There's so many prayers and promises and things we can pray for one another that I think helps fuel our prayers. And I think, when you talk about how relationships are difficult at times, start praying for others, especially maybe those that you find a little harder to love and see what God does. I think it's an ingredient. It's one piece of how we can grow at having healthy, fruitful, joyful relationships with one another. And so I just want to ask you this morning, do you have a habit of doing that? Like I said, I know you guys are spending time with God, trust, praying, and I just want to broaden our praying to lots of people in our church, to all of your brothers and sisters that you hang out with or ones that you don't know quite as well. I was thinking this week, what if we all took 10 minutes I don't want to say every day or every week or whatever, but 10 minutes away from social media, sports, entertaining ourselves, Hallmark movies. And just took those 10 minutes and just prayed for your brothers and sisters in the church. Just praying for them, praying that God would meet them through his word, that God would encourage them, to thank God for them. I wonder how that would impact our church if we all did that over the course of the next couple of weeks. How would that impact our community as a local church. So the first one is pray. Second one is kiss. And all right, I put that there because I wanted to make you wonder. Probably the controlling verb is probably greet, right? Because he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So the, the point is to greet. But then he says, notice, it's not greet some of your brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. It's not greet your favorite brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. It is greet all, all the brothers and sisters, with a holy kiss. In other words, Paul is looking at his church, and he's saying, no one in this church family should be beyond receiving a kiss from you. So what we're going to do this morning, everyone's going to stand. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. <laughs> so I thought about this. What is, what is going on here? Why? And, and are we disobeying God's word if we don't do this? And I think as I've been trying to understand, like, what's going on here? Is this something God is commanding us to do? I think the point, I think the issue is that we should have a deep affection for one another. 
There should be a deep love for one another that goes beyond a fist bump and a handshake. Should. I actually enjoyed this morning that it was raining because so I could get under umbrellas with people and kind of get close. I was thinking about this. I was doing it. Like, this is kind of nice. Like, I like this. Now, share a little personal illustration beyond that. So there was a time about six months ago, I think, um, where uh, we were greeting each other, saying hi to one another, and someone came up to me and they said, can I just give you a hug? And then they just hugged me. Just a wonderful, affectionate, caring hug. And that is really, it just, it caught my emotions and my thoughts off guard a little bit. But what was unique was, at the end of our time together, someone else came up to me, out of the blue, and just wrapped their arms around me and gave me this huge hug. And I remember so vividly driving home and just trying to figure out, why did that impact me so much? I felt so loved, noticed, encouraged. It just really affected me. Now, I know that all of you aren't huggers. Some of you are porcupines. That just ain't your gig. Like, back off. But I wonder if there's something here. I mean, it's in God's Word, right? It's in God's Word for a reason. And I wonder if it's because God wants to help churches, ours, grow at just showing affection to one another. And maybe just hugging more. I was in a church a long time ago where everybody hugged all the time. And I'm not saying good or bad. I'm not saying we need to have that culture. But is there a way, we're in God's word, this is why we preach through books of the Bible, not just what I want to say, but is there a way that God wants us to grow as a church at just being affectionate, deepening our love for one another? Um, and maybe it is more often hugging than we do right now. I don't know. But I'd, I'd want to lay that out for us as a local church, as a family, and say, family, let's see if this is something that God puts on our hearts that he wants us to do. I wish we could have shirts that say I'm not a hugger and shirts that say I am a hugger because I may start hugging some of you and you're going to be like back off Jack. So we may have to be a little gracious to one another, but pray about it. Just consider, is it possible this is a way that God wants us to develop happy, healthy, fruitful relationships with one another? So there's number two. Number three is read the word. Read the word. These aren't shocking things, are they? No. So verse 27 says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know if at this point Paul knows that he's writing Scripture. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the first letter. It's the first thing he's written that's going to be in our Bibles. But he knows enough to know this is important enough that all the brothers and sisters need to have it read. They need to read it to one another. And again, I think this is just an invitation to us to say, how are we doing it reading God's Word when we're together? So every Sunday... Thanks, Jonah, this morning. Every Sunday, we read God's word out loud to one another. I just think it's encouraging. I just think it's good to not just jump into some kind of preaching thing without God's word being read for us to hear. And this is why every review and apply email that I send out, I think, to date, the very first review on everyone is always read the passage of Scripture. And that's for a reason. So that when you're in your community group or in your group of three, doing the review and apply, you begin with the Word of God. I was thinking, the, the Word of God is almost like a fire pit outside. You, you ever hang out with a group of people as a fire pit? Where does everybody go? To the fire pit. And what do we do? We stand around and we gaze into the fire, right? It's just a magnet for us. I don't know why. And, and God's Word is supposed to be the same way. It's supposed to be for us. This is where the truth is. This is how we get to know God better. This is how we get to know ourselves better. And so this is kind of like the fire pit of our meetings. Like, let this be where we all turn and gaze so that we can really be encouraged about the things we must have in common, right? The truths about who God is. 
among all the other things we might have different, we believe this is God's word to us, and we want to embrace it that way, and let his word correct us, and train us, and encourage us, and unify us. I think there's a reality that we will be as healthy, and happy, and fruitful in our relationships as we are going to God's word for the encouragement that we need for our souls. So I just want to encourage you, keep doing that as you, as you guys meet, and make sure that God's word, his absolute truth, is put before us. I mean, after all, it reveals how magnificent he is, his word gives us hope, it gives us power, it revives our soul, it gives wisdom and enlightens the eyes. I mean, it's what we need. We need truth to combat the lies that we deal with day in and day out. So let me encourage you, spend time in your groups with one another, reading the passages of scripture together with each other and encourage one another. I'm on some text threads where you guys do that really well. Like, you just, here's a verse that God has put on my heart and sharing those. Keep doing that as groups. Let's keep encouraging each other with the truth from God's word. All right, so there's one, two, three. Lastly, number four is the word grace. The word grace. So the very last verse is, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think that little phrase, that little sentence could be so easily just overlooked or perhaps even thrown away as just a catchphrase right? Let, let the grace of God be with you. Amen. Okay, move on to the next place to read. But I don't think that's the case. I think that last sentence is there to two, serve two purposes. One is to show us how grace relates to relationships, to brothers and sisters. And I think the other is it's the bookend to the letter, because this letter begins with grace and ends with grace. So go back to chapter one, verse one. And look at how he begins the letter. He begins with grace to you. Grace to you. And now he ends the letter with grace be with you. So I think this is a grace sandwich. Grace at the beginning, grace at the end. And that everything he writes in between is meant to be informed by grace is meant to be experienced in an atmosphere of grace, is meant to be empowered by grace. So everything from our salvation to our sanctification, from our relationship with God to our relationships with one another, is meant to be all about grace. In fact, I would say, no matter the topic, the issue, the action, or the warning that we read in God's word, it's got to be done in an atmosphere of grace. So let's take a minute and define grace. Grace is God giving people who deserve punishment blessing. It's God blessing those who deserve punishment. So who deserves punishment? All of us. So grace is when God looks at someone who should be punished, and instead he blesses them. And these blessings that come come to us in a variety of forms. So here's where I want to get inside everybody's brain, because we know what it looks like to look at words on a computer screen and then to double-click on them, and then all these things happen, right? So when you hear preaching or singing or you're reading God's Word and you see the word grace, I want you to be able to double-click on that, and I want things to explode in your brain. Because I think we can think too narrow and small about grace. So I want to do that this way. I want to just make sure that we're all... Um, fully orbed in our understanding of grace and the varieties of grace and just how gracious God is to us. So 
There's a lot of ways that we could put these in categories, but I've got six for you that I'm just going to walk through pretty quickly. So these are like six little categories of grace so that when Paul begins his letter, grace to you and grace be with you, what does he mean when he says grace? Yes, he means God blesses those who deserve punishment, but then what does that grace look like? And so here's what the grace looks like. First one, it looks like common grace. It looks like common grace. So in Matthew 5, God says, make, he makes his sun rise, so the sun rises, on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So this morning, rain is falling on your yard, and if you are clothed in Christ's righteousness, you're just. It's also raining on your neighbor's yard that maybe doesn't know Jesus and is unjust. You see what's happening. So he's trying to help us understand, like, rain falls on everyone. Common grace. The sun rises. Everyone experiences that sunrise. And I think he's inviting us, Jesus here is inviting us, to take that beyond just these two illustrations. To think about all the ways that God just blesses all mankind when he really should take the earth and just crush it and throw it off hurling into space. But he doesn't. And so everything he does, so I've often thought, why is it that I have friends who don't know Jesus that love better than me? Common grace. Why do I have friends that don't know Jesus that are so generous, that are able to, to solve big problems that help people? It's common grace. You know, why are doctors creating cures for illnesses? It, it's common grace. So God is just really gracious towards his whole creation, towards all people, even though we all deserve punishment. So that's one. Second is, more familiar, saving grace. So we move from just common grace to saving grace, and this is the one we are probably way more familiar with, but I'm going to read two verses here from Romans. The first is this. So two, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. So there, there are people who aren't part of God's kingdom, a remnant, that he chooses by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. <laughs> I love that. It's like Paul gets simple for a moment. He says something that I can wrap my brain around, right? It's logical. He says, if it's no longer of works, if it's no longer if it's based on works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. It wouldn't be grace anymore. So grace comes to us apart from our works, apart from anything good that we ever do. He chooses us based on grace and not by our good works. And then he says this again in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That means you're forgiven and clothed. How? By his grace as a gift. So grace, the grace of justification is a gift and it comes through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what this is saying is if you were to take your last week's worth of good works, happy thoughts, serving others, wisdom you passed on, kindness and patience, and you were to present them to God in a PowerPoint or in TikToks, he would not be impressed. He would look at all of our works and he would say, you've fallen short of the glory of God, which automatically means we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. We deserve punishment immediately. And so the, the, the reality of these verses is not by works, 
I mean, spend some time just thinking about that, that God is not evaluating us, accepting us, receiving us, loving us, blessing us based on our works. It'd be terrible if it was done by our works. If you don't think that, then you're not aware of how much we sin. (laughs) Because when we realize that, we realize, wow, grace is really deep and amazing that we would be forgiven this way. And so may, may God continue for us to make us freshly aware of the grace that he has put down on our lives. Because this is kind of like the gateway grace. This one opens the, the grace for all the other graces that we get to experience. When we see that grace is a gift, that means the moment that you receive saving grace, everything changes. Everything in your life changes. You go from death to life from a future with no hope to citizenship in heaven. You go from being alone, abandoned, alienated from God to knowing that God will never leave you or forsake you. You go from being an orphan to being adopted as a very son and daughter of God. You go from receiving God's wrath to his inexhaustible forgiveness. We go from eternal punishment to eternal life. I mean, this is all because of grace. Now, why are you saved? Grace. Why are you redeemed? Grace. Why are we justified? Grace. How are we adopted? Grace. Why are you reconciled to God this morning? Because of grace. In grace, in Jesus' grace, you and I are loved immeasurably, forgiven relentlessly. Because of Jesus' death, we are redeemed fully. He extends infinite patience to us. Because of his grace, you and I are justified completely, adopted wholeheartedly. You're reconciled to God perfectly, all because of the grace of God. So when you hear the word grace, know that everything about your salvation starts with grace and ends in grace. By his blood, we deserve punishment, and instead we're just swimming in blessings all these blessings that we have, all because of the grace of God. And again, so this is, the, this is the grace that then opens the graces for us. Because now we move into sanctifying grace. In Titus, he says, for by grace, for the grace of God has appeared. And the grace of God has appeared to do two things, to bring salvation to all people, and then he says to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. So salvation comes to save you, and then it comes to train you to get rid of the toxic lies that ruin our lives. When we see how bad sin really is, like how it just messes up our lives, how it messes up our relationships, we realize we need and we want God's grace to train us, to motivate us, to empower us to live differently. And he says to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I don't think on any given week we realize how God is so committed to wanting to set us free from the sin that just really stinks in our lives. I don't think I recognize how stinky it is and how God is committed to trying to set me more and more free from it. I mean, that was the sermon Tyler preached last, the commitment of God to sanctify us wholly. He is working in our lives to do that, to set us free from the the poison and just the the deadliness of sin that can creep into our hearts. He's committed by grace to make us free so that we can enjoy him forever and our time while we're here on earth. And so this morning, if you feel just trapped in a sin, 
just trapped, all bound up, let me introduce you to a new friend, sanctifying grace. (laughs) A new friend to help you fight and overcome sin and to enjoy God. And if you're feeling weak to do that, let me introduce you to another friend this morning, strengthening grace. (laughs) Because then he gives us the strength that you don't deserve so that you can embrace sanctifying grace. I mean, these these kind of things blow my mind, that God could have just saved us and said, all right, peace out, I'll be back in a while, and you guys figure it out. Instead, he's like, no, I'm committed to helping you live like I want you to live in freedom and in joy. So then he gives us the strength. So in 2 Timothy, it says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let the grace that is in Jesus strengthen you. And I love these verses in Hebrews. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. And then he gives a food analogy. And I'm a foodie, so I love food analogies. He compares it to food. Food that could somehow benefit, but he says, no, it really has no benefit to those who are devoted to it. So I don't know if you're as devoted to food as I am, but I'm devoted to food. If I'm not eating food, I'm thinking about food to come. I'm thinking about food we don't have in the refrigerator that I need to go to the store to buy. I'm thinking about preparing food. I'm thinking about enjoying food. I love food. And so when he says here, don't be devoted to food, what he's saying is be devoted to grace. No, as much as food can consume our lives, let grace consume your life that much. As much as you think about buying food, preparing food, eating food, enjoying food, think about grace. And and all the grace, I mean, there's 140-some verses in the New Testament that just talk about grace. It's like, here's a grace feast. As often as you think about food, think about grace. As As often as you feed your body food, feed your soul grace. Let grace strengthen your soul the way that food strengthens your body. And so he he pushed this out there for us saying, let grace give you strength. Church, do you do that? We need strengthening grace. And then more grace, spiritual gifts, grace. Brief, you guys know this. I'm not going to read it all, but they're called grace gifts for a reason. You get them because of grace. They're not works gifts. God doesn't look at us and go, I'm going to give you that gift because you've been so good today. No, he gives you gifts because he wants to bless you and others around you. So he gives you gifts to fulfill his mission, not based on us and how good we behave. And then there's future grace. Number six, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Reality for everybody God interacts with you today based on grace. He's going to relate to you tomorrow based on grace. And the day that Jesus is revealed, he's going to relate to you based on grace. That's really good news. That's really, really good news. This is not temporary grace. This is grace that extends all the way into your future. It's a grace that extends all the way into your eternity. And Jesus is just waiting. I love that picture in my mind of Jesus is going to be revealed. And what's he going to come to me with? Grace. He's going to walk towards us carrying grace 
so that we can have eternity with him. So there's six, six graces. So why did I take us down that road? A bit of a rabbit trail, right? Why did I take you down that road? Well, here's why I took us down that road. If this is how God has treated you, pouring grace upon grace down on you while you deserve punishment, then how can you treat your brothers and sisters any differently? I wanted to fill your brains and your hearts with grace so that you would go, what a God! I can't believe he treats me that way! So you would say, and now I get to treat others the same way. That's the point. I think that's why Paul ends this way. And if this is how God treats your brothers and sisters, then how could you treat them any differently? I don't think we we're supposed to miss how all this grace is meant to impact our relationships with each other, with one another. So yes, pray for one another, develop affection for one another, read God's word together with one another, and then, and then, when others rub you the wrong way, treat them the same way God treats you when you rub him the wrong way. You offend God, God blesses you. So when someone offends you, what do you do? You bless them. You practice imaging God. You hurt God every day with opinions, with words, with things I do and don't do, and he continues to bless me. So when others hurt you by their words or opinions or actions, you get a chance to image God and treat them the way that God treats you. Now listen, I'm not naive I know there are brother-sister relationships in our church family that are not as joyful or healthy or fruitful as they could be. I'm not aware of any conflicts or fights or divisions. I just know we can always grow, right? My relationships with all of you can be more happy, more fruitful, more joyful. I know that can be the case. But I believe that if we really put on prayer and deep affection in God's word and grace that God can transform our relationships and make them even more healthy and more fruitful. Do you believe that? I do. And I think we have a really good thing going. A really good thing going. I see how you guys love each other. And I just think this is an opportunity for us. I think these closing verses of this are just an opportunity, just a reminder, to press into that. I think if we coast, our love for one another will coast. Right? But if we, we look at these and we say, no, I'm gonna, I want to embrace these four things and start to treat people intentionally because of these things, I think it could have a radical impact on us as a church to keep growing and loving and embracing and encouraging and praying and reading God's word to one another. I think it's a good thing. And, and if, you, if you've had my experiences, churches can get messed up pretty quick and usually they get messed up because people start to fight and argue and there's division and conflict. And so I think these are just like kind of protection, protections here for us things that we can keep in mind that'll help protect us to keep cultivating and growing the way that God wants us to grow. So church, let's do it. Let's take some time to pray, a little extra maybe, in the next couple of weeks for our brothers and sisters. Make that a habit. Let's make sure we're reading the word when we're together. Let, let's ask God to cultivate deep affection for one another. And then let's feed our souls more grace. And then transfer that to how we treat 
one another. Is that an amen? Amen. amen. Thanks for being a happy church amen. and for loving each other. Thanks for your example in that. I just want to pray and we'll sing a song or two. Actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you guys just a minute. I'd love for you guys just to, uh, to pray. I don't know whether you feel comfortable doing this, praying out loud. If, if you want to, I'd love that. Just that God would do this in our church family. A few would just be willing just to pray out loud. Like, God, do this. Pray, pray these four things for our church this morning. I'd love for you to do that. Um, as soon as I say amen, if you feel free to pray out loud if that's something you want to do. Otherwise, you can just pray to yourselves. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you for 10 years of um, fruitful, happy, deep relationships that we have with each other. But God, we know that there's more that you want to do. I know you don't want to just protect us from divisions and conflicts, but you want to help us to keep prospering in fun relationships with one another that are fruitful. And so I ask, God, that you would supernaturally, by the power of your Spirit, help us each to embrace praying for one another. Help us to embrace asking you to increase our affection and our love for one another. Help us, God, to extend grace to one another in powerful ways. And help us, God, to make the truths from your word, the realities in your word, be the center of our relationships, that it would drive us, that we'd encourage each other that way. God, that our opinions would be secondary and your reality would be primary and that you would protect us and that you would bless us, God. May our love for each other just increase more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.